You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. You may be seated. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2 this morning. As we begin chapter 2, realize that when he says, after these things... We are now in a portion of 2 Samuel when Israel's first king, Saul, has been killed. Three of his sons have been killed on battle, on the battlefield. And now we come to 2 Samuel chapter 2. And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Naboth's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh Gilead were they that had buried Saul. And David sent messengers unto the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto your Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you, and I also will requite you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened, and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah have anointed me king, over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Maenam, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all of Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Manaam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young man now arise and play before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then there arose and went over by number twelve of Benjamin, which pertaineth to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Therefore the place was called Helkath Hazerim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab, and Abishai, and Asahel. And Asahel was as light of foot as a wild roe. And Asahel pursued after Abner, and in going he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, 
turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left, and lay thee hold on one of the young men, and take thee his armor. But Asahel would not turn aside from following of him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore shall I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold my face to Joab, thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner, with the hinder end of his spear, smote him under the fifth rib, that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died stood still. And Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner, and the sun went down when they came, when they were come to the hill of Amma that lieth in Gia by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. Jump down to verse number 30. And Joab returned from following Abner. When he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants 19 men and Asahel. But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that three hundred and threescore men died. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the sepulcher of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at the break of day. This is the word of the Lord. And may he bless us by hearing what God has for us this morning. Have you ever read a sign or a story or a paragraph? And as you read the story at first glance, it really wasn't what you thought it was. When my wife was younger, she, she had just learned how to read, and her and her sister were in the car with her parents. And as they pulled up to the side of the road, there was a sign that said, Puppies Just Ahead. And so learning how to read, she read it nice and slow, Puppies Just Ahead. And her younger sister, who's in the car, began to weep. And she said, why would anyone have puppies without a body and just a head? Right? I have to be honest with you. I have read this passage of Scripture scores of times. And there's something about the story of Abner that I'm drawn to. And maybe you're not. Maybe you know the story. But for me, every time I've read this story, it's like Abner seems to be an honorable man. He is the first cousin of Saul. He is the commander and chief of the armies of Israel. He's a military man. He has been on the battlefield. And Saul, the first king, has been killed. And three of his sons. And so Abner then goes and he takes the younger son, Ishbo, as his friends call him, and sets him up as the king. And then it just seems as you read the story, it sort of unravels that there's a series of unfortunate events that happen to Abner. First, 12 of his men have this combat, and they die, 24 men, in this small patch of ground. Then in self-defense, he's running, telling Asahel, who runs like a deer, nothing runs like a deer, right? He runs like a deer, and he says, stop following me, in between breaths, stop following me, turn to the right or the left, and the guy, he couldn't shake him. So finally, Abner, in self-defense, stops with his spear and backward thrust. Under the fifth rib, comes out the back, kills in self-defense. And then that day on the battlefield, 360 of Saul's men slain in this action. But I want you to know something this morning. Things are not always as they seem. 
And my idea of Abner and his honorableness and his series of unfortunate events is not what it seems. There's a reason for all of this. And I hope today to talk about that this morning. So let's begin where this chapter begins with David. We'll start there. Verse number one of our text. After this came to pass that David inquired of the Lord. Here is David now. His life has changed. He he has been running as a fugitive for 10 years. And now he's there. Saul is dead. Israel has suffered defeat. And he says, Lord, is this the time? He inquires of the Lord. Something very interesting here about David, and we see this in his life, that David was often aware of the presence of God and his need for him. And in this chapter, once again, we see that he is aware of God's presence. He says, God, and he inquires, whether it's by the priest or prayer, he is communicating with the God who is there. He's aware of his presence. We certainly in Christianity understand this. We talk about God's omnipresence. It means that he is everywhere at all times in every place. Tozer said this, God is everywhere here, close to everyone, next to everyone. And regardless of how you feel this morning or what you sense, The God of heaven is omnipresent. God, this morning, is here. Whether you sense it, whether you feel it, it makes no difference. The God of the universe is here. He's here. And when you leave here, he will be there. Like David says in Psalm 139, whither shall I Flee from your spirit. Where, where shall I run from your presence? If I, if I take the wings of the morning and go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. The light and the darkness is the same. You're there, God. You're everywhere. And we would certainly acknowledge this this morning as believers. We do believe that God is everywhere, that God is here. Amen? All right, good. Now, for those of us who are born-again believers this morning, This has a greater meaning for us. Not just that God is here, but there's something for the believer in the presence of Christ being here. Let me remind you of the words of Jesus in in John chapter 14 this morning. This is right before he's put on trial, right before Calvary, right before his death, resurrection. Look what he says in chapter 14, starting at verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. There's tons in that verse. There's tons about the nature and character of God. There's tons about the triunity of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the truth there in that scripture is this, that Jesus said, I'm leaving, I'm sending the Comforter, the Spirit of God, and by the Spirit of God, my presence, Jesus himself, will abide with the believer forever. So, when we say God is here as believers, not only is he here for the child of God, He is here. Your body is a temple of the living God. And how it should impact our lives to practice 
the presence of Jesus Christ. By practicing his presence, I do not mean imagining an object in your mind and seeking to realize its uh, presence, but to recognize the real presence of the one who is already here. And being aware of the fact that God, the Son, resides within us should change everything about us. It should change how we act and how we react, realizing and believing that wherever I go... Whatever I see, whatever I do, Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, is there. His presence. There's some real disadvantages of being a pastor or an elder or a leader in the church. Because people have this, this impression of you, and so they want to keep that your impression of them above board. So years ago, years ago, I was making some calls, and there was a man who had been coming to our church. And uh, as I pulled up to his driveway and got out, he was working at his car and didn't know I was coming. It was a surprise attack, right? And they see me coming, usually the curtains close and the door gets locked. I caught him in the drive. And, and while, I, while we caught eyes, he was smoking a cigarette. Now listen to me. I know some of you smoke. This is not a message about smoking. Let me just say this to you. You ought to quit. It is killing you. It's a cancer stick. Okay. My dad tried to quit for years. My dad still smokes. Every time he quit, like hundreds of times, he just got heavy and angry. Okay? And he struggled the whole time. So if you can quit, quit. By God's grace, you can. But that's not the story, the point of the message, okay? We still love you if you smoke. And by the way, everyone knows you smoke. You smell like a cigarette anyways. Right? Nobody knows. No, we know. We know. So here I am, and I pull up, and the guy has a cigarette, and he puts it behind, he cups it with his thumb and his index finger, and he puts it behind his back. <laughs> Again, really dense. And so we're talking, and smoke's coming from his back. <laughs> and, and he still, he, he, wouldn't, he was, he was going to play this thing out, and I thought, okay, we'll have a really long conversation. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I don't know if he went to the hospital afterwards with three-degree burns or not, but I know that cigarette burnt down to the nub, to the nub. Listen, he was more concerned about what a pastor thought than about what God thinks. It's not just the guy who's smoking a cigarette hiding it. It's all of us. So often, believer, we're more concerned about what so-and-so thinks or what so-and-so sees And the fact that the Spirit of God resides here. That Jesus Christ not only redeemed my soul from the marketplace of sin, he rescued and ransomed me, but by his grace and goodness, by the Spirit of God, he has sealed me unto the day of redemption. And there's no place I can go that he is not there. And it would do us well as believers. David was aware of the presence of God. How much more ought we be aware daily of the presence of God in our lives? I have to tell you something. That might just revolutionize our entire life. How you respond to people, how you talk to them, what you view, how many times on the computer you go back to that site. If you really believe that Jesus Christ lived in you, it might just change the believer today. And David was fully aware 
of the presence of God. May we be as well. But there's something else about David we find in this text. Not only was he fully aware of the presence of God, but he was assured in the promises of God. Back in verse number one of our text, if you would. David says, as he inquires of the Lord, being aware that he's there, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? Now, if you're just reading this, it's like, okay, what's the deal? Why even ask the question? Well, let me tell you why he asked this question. Because Saul is dead, his three sons are dead, Israel has suffered defeat, and long, long, long time ago, when David was a boy, tending sheep, the job that nobody wanted other than the sycamores, right? Tending sheep out in the cold. He gets a call, and his dad says, come on home. The prophet Samuel is here. We've gone through all the boys, and he wants to see the runt of the litter. And David walks in. Samuel says, that's the one. God doesn't look on the outside. He looks at the heart. And this is the next king of Israel. And he anoints him, and they rejoice. And David never forgot that promise of God. And so he says, Lord, is this the time? Is this when it will come to fruition? Is this the beginning of what you promised me so long ago? And so God says, yes, go to Hebron. He goes to Hebron. As he goes there, the men of Judah, not all of the tribes, one of the eleven, recognize the word of God. They anoint him king. And even when he talks to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and he says, listen, your master's dead, Strengthen your hands. Judah has anointed me. This was a polite way of inviting them to the party and saying, I'm the king in Judah. You're welcome to come along. And, and David had assurance in the promises of God. Even though it was a small thing, just a little town of Hebron, even though 11 of the other tribes rejected him, even though he would reign in Hebron for seven years, this is the inception, this is the beginning this is the genesis of the promise that God had made to him that one day a stone would smite all of the nations, all of the empires, Daniel chapter 2. That stone would shatter the image of this world and it would grow into a mountain and its glory would fill the earth. And this is the beginning of God fulfilling his word and his promise that Jesus Christ would come and rule and reign. God, my friend, always keeps his word. Listen to me. The arm of flesh will fail you. There are good people in this church. There are loving people in this church. But there are times they will promise you something and they will not be able to deliver. There are times that the leadership of this church will fail you. There are times that you need something, and i got to tell you, it's not coming from any human being. It's in those times that we must find our assurance from the very word of God, it can be trusted. You can rest in it. You can find strength and comfort in the promises of God. This morning, if you're here and your soul is troubled over your spiritual condition, if you died today, today, choking on a hot dog, don't, don't, but, but if you did, if you did, and your heartbeat stopped, 
And in your heart, you know things are not reconciled to the God of heaven. And it troubles you. And at night, when no one's around, you know you're in trouble. My friend, listen to me. Let me give you the comfort of the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's the word of God. My friend, you can take it to the bank. You can trust God's word. If this morning you have doubts in your Christian life and you have this sense that I'm not sure if this is right or true, Lord, I want to have faith in your word, but I struggle through that, and you're there, go to Mark chapter 9, where the guy with the little child says, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, and take comfort in the words that we find. If this morning you feel like your, your world is falling apart, if you questioned whether God even cares or knows or loves you at all, Christian, we turn to Romans chapter 8, and we find Paul say, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor angels nor things present nor things to come nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You can bank on that. That is the word of God. This morning, if you're anxious and consumed with worry, and it plagues you. Philippians chapter 4, the word says, Be careful, be anxious for nothing. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the God of peace, the God of peace, peace that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. If you wonder this morning if the pain of loss and grief will ever subside, if anyone understands or knows the scar within, Psalm 147.3, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. If you think no one gets your pain, no one's been here before, no one can understand, no one can even fathom this, Isaiah 53.3 reminds us that he is despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows. He knows where you're at this morning. Take comfort in his word. When you watch people who you've loved change into someone you don't recognize, a spouse, a friend, a child, a husband, a wife, Malachi 3 reminds us that I, the Lord, change not. He is static. He doesn't change. You can press into that. Isaiah 46 reminds us that God is our refuge and our strength a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It's okay. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the, the rivers rage and the ocean roars and the earth trembles, we can be still and know that our God is God. When you're tempted to quit, not sure if the Christian life is worth it anymore, why bother, why go on? Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus speaks to the church there, he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. My friend David had assurance in the promises of God, and this morning you and I can rest assured in the promises of God. He is faithful, he is true, and his word will come to fruition. David was aware of the presence of God. David was assured of the promises of God. And now I know what you're saying. Hey, wait a minute. This is like all pastors. Here's a rabbit trail. I thought we were talking about little Abner today. We are. 
And since you reminded me, let's go there now. Okay? What about Abner? I want you to notice something about this story that maybe you didn't realize before. David was not the only one who knew the promise of God. This wasn't a secret at all. Do you know that Saul, the king before him, was fully aware of the promise of God? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 24. This is where Saul had tried to kill David. And he gets found out, and David spares his life. Verse number 20 of 24 says this, And now behold, I know well that thou art surely the king. This is Saul speaking of David. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thy hand. That was part of the reason Saul wanted to kill him. He knew the promise of God. Saul's house would end, and David's house would reign. But not only did Saul know that, and by the way, when he said that, he was with the armies of Israel. He was with Abner, the captain of his troops. But just so you know, Abner knew this promise as well. We're going to cheat a little bit and go ahead one chapter, but in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Abner realizes that Saul's son isn't digging him. There's problems there. And so he says, okay, fine, I'm leaving Israel. I'm going to go fight for David. And notice what he says in chapter 3, verse number 9. This is Abner speaking. So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord hath sworn to David. God promised David. Abner knew it. Even so, I do to him. And translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set it up at the house of the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. Abner's really interesting here. Um, he quotes the Bible when it suits him. He, he knew this promise. He's like the guy who's posting on Facebook all the curse words, and then he finds some real good verse that he puts that on Facebook right underneath that. This is Abner, okay? So here's the point. Abner was fully aware of this promise of God to David that he would reign. Therefore, Abner's decision was a willful defiance to the revealed word of God. Abner knew the truth. Abner knew that God made this promise. Abner knew that Saul's reign would end. And in spite of that, Abner decides to take Saul's son and set him up as king. In spite of that, Abner decides to attack David's army. We don't get the geography here because we don't have a map in front of us. But when Abner took the troops of Israel, they crossed the river in the east. They came within five miles of Jerusalem. This is David's new kingdom. This was an aggressive act. He was attacking David and in turn attacking, attacking the God of heaven. And so now listen to me. All of the subsequent results came from Abner's initial rejection of truth. Twenty-four young men died because Abner rejected truth. Azahel died because Abner rejected truth. 360 men from Saul's army died because Abner rejected truth. And eventually, Abner will die by the hand of Joab because he has rejected the truth. Christian, listen to me. When we reject the truth of God's word, all we are left with is a lie. 
All we are left with is sin. And listen to me. Sin, when it is finished, always brings forth death. You reject God's word and his truth, all that's left is a lie and sin, and it will kill. It will kill relationships. It will kill trust. This Ashley Madison, you know, the, the, the website for cheating, life is too short, have an affair. Over 30 million subscribers now exposed. Sin kills trust, relationships. Kill the, sin kills all of these things. And when we move from the truth of God's word, we are left with disaster. With disaster. Christian, listen, we have the truth of God's word. We must listen to it and obey it. So, in light of all the information we have now in chapter 3, I want us to process the story and give you just four thoughts as we close this morning. Number one, in light of our text, there are those who are not interested in God's kingdom. There are always those who are not interested in God's kingdom. The men of Jabesh Gilead, David said, listen, I'm king now here in Judah. You want to join me? Please do. They don't. And part of the reason was because Jabesh Gilead, here is Judah in the south, here's Jabesh Gilead, and here's Israel, they would become a buffer zone now between these warring factions. Not worth it. Abner knew the truth. He knew about God's kingdom, but he was to lose. He would no longer be the commander-in-chief of Israel's army. Job was that. I find today there are plenty of people who will add Jesus to their life because they think somehow, or been told from Christian television and radio, that if you add Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Just add him to your life, and everything will be hunky-dory, and everything will be great. And the minute they find out that there is a cost to Christianity, and there is. There is. It will cost you something. Jesus promised that to you. It will cost you. And when they find out, the deal's off the table. And it's to their destruction. My friend, understand there will be people who do not or are not interested in the kingdom of God. Number two, it is possible to know truth and not embrace it. Hey, there's a little Abner in all of us today. I'm talking to Christians now, and the fact of the matter is, our human nature is sinful, and we can be stupid. We can be stupid. We look at the word of God, and we know the truth, and somehow we think we are the exception to that. Or that we are smarter than God, and we know better than the word of God. It's possible to know truth and not embrace it. Christian, let me ask you a question. What truth do you know now that you're not doing? And I'm not talking about, oh, you know, eschatology, I'm not sure how this is all going to pan out. I'm really confused about this. I'm talking about the truth that you know. Like husbands, love your wives. It's kind of hard to figure out, isn't it? I wonder what that means. Wives, submit to your own husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Give thanks in all things. Be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Uh, that's truth. 
And how much of that truth do you know right now that you and I ignore on an hourly basis? Abner's not new. That, that's us. We know truth, yet we do not embrace it. Number three, there are consequences for our actions. Consequences for our actions. Listen to me. No man, no woman is an island. There is this ripple effect. And when I decide to do wrong as a father, a husband, a friend, a pastor, as a woman, a wife, a friend, a, a member of a church, you will impact others. And your sinfulness will have ramifications for those who are innocent. Abner's actions caused the death of hundreds of people. There are consequences. We live in this crazy world where we try to say, do what you want, live how you want, engage in what you want to engage in. There are no consequences. My friend, it is a lie. There are consequences. And you won't be the only person affected by those consequences. Always the innocent suffer. And the flip side of that is true as well. There are consequences for our actions when we, by the Spirit of God, say, Spirit of God, please transform me, change me, help me to become into the image of Christ. Not that everything's a cakewalk now, but, but now I'm more like Jesus. I talk like him, I speak like him, I react like him, and I am beneficial to everyone around me. That's the other ripple effects. There are consequences for our actions. And finally, this morning, God's kingdom will prevail, and his purposes will not fail. David, although rejected by 11 other tribes, would ascend to the throne and reign. And Jesus Christ, although rejected by his own, he came unto his own, John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, the children of God. He was rejected by his own, but mark it down, he will ascend, and he will rule and reign, and his glory will fill the earth. Things are not always as they seem. We read this story, and for me, it was like, Abner, you seem like a really cool guy. This is unfortunate what happened to you. No, listen to me. Abner was not righteous. Abner was a rebel. And everything in that story that happened, happened because initially he had rejected the truth of God. Things are not always as they seem. And in the Christian life, let me tell you something. Things aren't always as they seem. It seemed as if Christ was routed. On Calvary. It seemed as if all the hopes of the followers of Christ were dashed. It seemed like his plan was foiled when we went to the tomb. But three days later, he got up. He's alive and well today. And even in our world today, it seems as if, God, what's happening? We see horrific things today. And it seems like God is losing. Christ is losing. We see reporters doing an interview shot on live television. We see now babies being parted out and used as merchandise. We have groups of people who are killing believers because they believe this book. And we say, God, it seems like 
And it might seem that way. But I want you to know something. Jesus Christ will rule and reign, and when he comes, he will make all things right. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Things aren't as they seem. There are times it seems as if we're on the losing side, but my friend, we are not. We have already won. This war is over with. These are small skirmishes, and Jesus Christ will rule, and he will reign, and he will be victorious. It may not look good now, but I want to tell you something. It will be glorious. So we're in prayer this morning.